This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello everybody, welcome to our broadcast podcast today. My name's Tom, I'm part of the team at Broadcast and today I've got a guest with me. I've got Paul Harrison from Jubilee Church in Coventry Uh, and Paul's currently doing some theological study at Regents College. He's doing his master's and he's uh, in the final year of that now working on his dissertation project and uh, a few months ago I was chatting with Paul at a church event, uh, churches coming together in, in our hub, and he was telling me a bit about what he's studying, and I was absolutely fascinated and wanted to learn more, wanted to get Paul on the pod to talk about it. So, uh, Paul, it's great to have you on. Why don't you uh, just kind of open up, what is the topic that you've been looking at in your studies, and what is it the, that led you to um, to go down this route? Yeah, great. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it's great to be to be on with you. Um, so I am studying essentially Remembrance Sunday and our practice of it in 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 our sort of churches, charismatic churches, unliturgied churches, I suppose, um, and uh, and asking um, what are the implications of our practice, the way that we do it. The reason I'm doing it is. Um, I suppose twofold. One was Russia's invasion of Ukraine beginning of last year just really got me thinking about um, the imminence of war for the first time in my life. I've grown up in the UK in a privileged position to not actually have to think about it too much until you know beginning of last year. And so it got me thinking, well, what if the UK got, you know, actively caught up in this what would I do as a Christian and as an elder of our church what would I teach others to do um and so as I'm sure we all did sort of thought about all sorts of implications of that and what that might be so that was part of my thinking of like what do I actually believe about a Christian response to war and then the the second strand I suppose was just that for a few years even before that I had begun to be a little bit uncomfortable with at least the way we in my church do Remembrance Sunday, which is a little bit scrambled, a little bit last minute, a little bit awkward, and it just got me thinking: what, what are, what are the, what are we implying by our practice here? What are we sort of teaching that we may or may not actually agree with if we sat back and thought about it? What story are we telling? Are we telling our national story primarily, or our new creation story? Like, what, what, what is it that we are? doing and how do people in our congregations feel about this coming from all sorts of different backgrounds maybe different nations um different theological positions potentially so what what are we actually doing so that's what that was the roots of of getting into it um and it has been a really interesting journey so far yeah i think it's a really needed piece of work in our circles um like I have not come across many people from the kinds of churches like Jubilee or like Christchurch Manchester where I'm at that that are talking about this that are, that are really helping us think it through and I just seeing yeah over the last couple of years 
in, in Ukraine with Russia and uh, more recently on the news seeing Israel and Gaza as well. It's really hard to know as a Christian who wants to um, be sold out to the kingdom of God, to be God honouring in our responses and taking seriously the teaching of Jesus. How do we respond to different situations? Are there um, different circumstances militarily that uh, require us to respond in different ways? Or um, what what emotionally should we be doing? Uh, I've noticed that sometimes it's easy for people to get caught up, almost like it's a football game and you're supporting your team and cheering victories and defeats. Or uh, other times you can just see the whole uh, bloodshed and horror of it and just um, kind of freeze emotionally. And um, I've always found it something that instinctively I think I'm drawn to non-violence as the Christian theological thing I haven't done the work on that and I know there are others who uh, would go down a, a route of just war and would t- teach circumstances where where war is acceptable uh, in, in some ways in some forms I presume this has formed quite a big part of the piece of work you've done um, t- tell us about that conversation, tell us what you've learned, what are the different arguments put forward for different sides there, and, and what's been your journey with it? How have you landed or have you landed on yeah. that one? Yeah, great. Um, I think, first of all, it's interesting that you sort of said, well, I think in, almost intuitively I'm probably towards nonviolence, but I haven't really thought about it that much. To be honest with you, I think the conversations that I've had with people in my church, you know, it's not a topic that we talk about very often. It's not a topic I've ever heard taught on in a public context. Um, but I think based on the conversations that I've had, I would guess that the majority of people would be in a similar position to yourself. Intuitively, I think reading Jesus's teachings and whatever, probably nonviolence is, is a more likely Christian response. And so, and so that sort of really is part of this whole thinking on on Remembrance Sunday because Remembrance Sunday, I think any any practice of it implies a just war position. It implies that under some circumstances, we as a church in our practice right now condone war and think that that war is the right response. And actually, that is its historical roots. Um, you know, it was birthed after World War One as Armistice Day, which culturally of the, you know, at the time was is such a different culture to British culture today. It was massively Christianized. Pretty much everyone would think they were a Christian, say they were a Christian, would be connected to a very local, very local church. And the culture was also much more militaristic and imperialistic than it is today. Um, and and those two actually very often um, reinforced one another. Your local connections to your local parish church actually reinforced your local connections often to your local regiment of the armed forces. There was this sort of mutually um, reinforcing effect going on, and that was very much the sort of rhetoric of the day, that you go and fight for your God and your country, uh, and to fight for Britain is to fight for Christianity. Actually, the First World War was, at the time, viewed as a holy war. And, you know, particularly Church of England bishops and archbishops 
were were very public figures. They were influential. They were listened to, and they encouraged people to go and fight for God and country, go and fight for the Christian cause of the British Empire. Um, and um, and so that that's the kind of roots, I suppose, of of um, uh, what has become Remembrance Sunday post World War Two is this twofold of just war tradition. Um, I think you know it was birthed in the Church of England as the as the national church. The Church of England have an official theological position in their Articles of Religion on just war, um, and um, it's Article thirty seven for anyone who wants to look it up. Uh, it basically says, yeah, you know, we believe that the right response is for in submission to the magistrates or governments is for Christians to take up arms and fight wars that are sanctioned by government. So it's, a, it's it's officially a just war thing. And then, yeah, stooped in sort of nationalism and that kind of thing. So I've looked at those two. So, um, yeah, maybe we can talk about, as you said, just war against nonviolence a little bit. Yeah. So, so when the Church of England and others have set up this position in their articles, I, I presume they've shown their work in a bit theologically. Uh, where are they looking? Is this Romans 13 yeah. they're getting this from? Or what, what would be the, the contours of how they biblically yeah. would explain that view? Yeah. Yeah, Romans 13 is an important passage um, in the just war tradition. I mean, the just war tradition is is millennia old. It predates Jesus. It actually originates in Greek philosophy um, with Cicero. And then very early Christians built on it um and there's some really heavy hitters you know who would who were very much just war tradition theologians like Augustine Thomas Aquinas uh yeah really really big heavy hitters through through the tradition um the medieval times was really when it most developed um and and it's a bit of a combination I suppose of situation Biblical theology um, and philosophy, um, and um, and I think the the important thing for now is that the 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 situation was entirely different. How wars were conducted in Roman times or in early church settings, even medieval settings, were just a million miles away from how wars are conducted today. So, so there are there are actually sort of quite strict criteria in the just war tradition of what makes a war just, and importantly, um, for a war to be just from a Christian standpoint in the tradition, all the criteria must be met, and um, and so these criteria they they form both how a war is entered how a war is conducted through the process, and even some would argue how a war concludes. And it's all about justice. And we're in the Christian tradition, it's about how do I love my enemy in the context of a war? Um, and so there would be things that we would probably be familiar with because our secular states still refer to them like just cause. Think of the Iraq war and the weapons of mass destruction that some may believed existed. That was a just cause. That was there. We have a reason to go in. That's only one of the criteria. Actually, they, there's there's lots of them. 
um, legitimate authority who who has the right to declare war um not just anybody but you know perhaps a nation state those in authority a just cause right intent am i doing this for my own benefit or to bring peace to my neighbor that's the real like uh underlying christian theology behind it i suppose is it a last resort have we tried every other means of recourse diplomacy etc um is there a reasonable chance of success if we go to war are we likely to get the outcome of bringing peace to our enemy um and and then so those are the kind of entering a war then there's the how is a war conducted which is really uh twofold one is called discrimination or non-combatant immunity so only those who are actively in the armed forces are legitimate targets now if you think about how a war is conducted in medieval times that's kind of quite easy to do right you agree the time the date the place we're going to have a war battle on that field over there at 10 o'clock next tuesday bring your army and we'll meet you there and so like that was easy to do right civilians are back in their villages okay that's how wars were conducted today that's not the case is it at all today it is it's not army against army actually it's people against people um and so yeah we could talk about that um and the final one is proportionality which is um which is that the the means that we use are are they over the top basically we we're, we're only allowed to use enough force to achieve our requirements um and so those are the kind of roughly the criteria that make a war just um romans 13 is behind it in terms of how does a christian submit to authorities um a kind of a fairly traditional i suppose reading of that would be at least in the just just war tradition that the authorities wield the sword and therefore um you know we are supposed to submit to them as good citizens and so if they tell a christian go to war it's just then you should that is the the just war tradition obviously others would take a different reading of romans 13 yeah, um, but really, yeah those are some of the criteria that's really helpful to have it outlined and it, it seems like this is just a helpful process for for anything in life that we're going to be doing particularly something weighty and significant to spend some time thinking through well if i'm going to be doing this thing how should i be doing it what are the right ways to to go about or not go about it so it seems i i, I can understand why this has all been laid out for for war um that doesn't address the question of is there ever a circumstance in which war in and of itself is appropriate is so given that we think that there are circumstances that's appropriate right let's define what they might be and how we do it um which then brings to the other side of the debate doesn't it the more non-violent position um which i guess would be looking at some of jesus's teaching in the sermon on the mount about uh, loving your enemies, turning the other cheek, going the second mile, and and so on. Um, what would people, as you've dug into the arguments and the people who are writing on this, what what would they be saying? How would they be constructing the case against war? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus is teaching in the New Testament. You know, are I where I think I am landing is it's quite difficult to square verses and passages that you've referred to 
love your enemy, but not just his teachings, what he did. He didn't just teach it, did he? He then, he then did it. He embodied it to the infinite degree for us, his enemies. Um, uh, and then just the whole story of the Bible, um, with its culmination in, you know, the new covenant and what is the end goal is, is a new humanity living in, you know, eventually in the new creation. But right now, in the bit that we inhabit right now, is Jesus has created a new humanity. I was listening to a Bible Project podcast just this week, actually, that I think is quite interesting and helpful on this um, thread of argument, which they were talking about um, cities and uh, that as a theme through the Bible. And they talked about Cain and Lamech right at the beginning in Genesis. Lamech, this... Um, uh, you know, violent man following the line of Cain, who basically said, you know, if Cain was really violent, well, I'm much worse. And if God was going to avenge Cain seven times, then he'll avenge me 77 times. Um, so I'm much worse and I'm in the right. That was Lamech's sort of, that's how he's painted. And then um, the Bible Project guys pointed out that um, when Jesus speaks to Peter, and Peter said, well, how many times am I supposed to forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus says, no, no, as many as 77 times. That That is a reference back to Lamech, who's saying, oh, I'm really violent and I'm in the right and God's going to defend me 77 times. And Jesus is saying, no, I am creating a whole new type of humanity who isn't avenged 77 times, but forgives 77 times. And for me, I think that kind of sums it up of like, he is... Jesus has created this new kingdom after his own pattern of dying for his enemies. He taught it, he did it, he calls his followers to do so. I actually think it's a harder position to live out faithfully than a just war tradition, not even not that that is easy in, in any sense. But I think in terms of what does that actually mean in the context of a conflict for a Christian to do, not just for themselves, but for their loved ones, potentially. I think it's a harder position to hold. But so that would be the, um, some of the, te- you know, thinking and argument yeah. behind nonviolence and pacifism. That's really helpful. Um, I'm just thinking how, how people respond to this tends to be quite pragmatic. And I don't know the answer, but you will hear, um, hypothetical scenarios like often um, World War II and Nazism is brought up but like other situations described the same way where the the war is framed at least in a way that isn't um, just two competing nations going at each other for power but where there's real atrocities and evils that have been done by a nation or a group of nations or a group of people that are causing harm significant harm to others and the the war is framed as you know defending protecting um dying for those who are weak um being willing to stand up against aggressors that way of framing things feels quite christian as it's explained and expressed how does that tie into the, the debate, I presume just war people would be all over that as an example, and those who advocate nonviolence, is there a response that would be given? Like, how's that argued? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And and to be honest with you, those were some of the kind of ethical questions I was wrestling with for myself when, you know, the beginning of last year, Russia invaded Ukraine, was the question of, well, how do I love my neighbour? And, and, and where is the boundary? Where is the line? And is there, should there be one? So I was thinking, you know, as I'm sure many of us did, if, if this war comes to our shores and, and comes to my street, do I, would I protect my family? Well, yes, yeah. I, I would. I, I don't think I would think twice about it. Um, would I, why would I do that? Well, I would protect my kids because they're weaker than I am. They need defending. They're vulnerable. So if I would do that, would I do that for my next door neighbor? You know, at a time I had a family living there. We got on really, really well. Uh, they've moved now, but you know, we're really good friends. They've got, they had a two-year-old son. Would I protect him? Well, yeah, like on the same basis, right? Okay. So would I do that for someone a street away? Well, what about a town away? Well, what about a nation away? And so that it's a di it's really difficult, I think. And I, I think honestly, I think where I'm where I'm landing for myself is I think I find it difficult to square Jesus' teachings with anything other than pacifism, as I've just outlined. But I kind of have an ethical problem with my own theological conviction, in that like, I, I I don't know how I would actually act. In that circumstance, and I, because it is a it is a powerful argument, how pacifist or nonviolence would would argue it is that. Um, so, if you take Martin Luther King, probably the you know most famous nonviolent, um, prominent person of you know the last century, and what he achieved, they achieved, they were stand, they were doing the same. They were they were standing up to those who were using evil, you know, to oppress people. They they achieved, but you know, you could argue more than violent versions of resistance did. Um, and and they and you know, listen and read Martin Luther King. It was still based in love of. The enemy that you know i don't know if you would have used that word but essentially it, it's the same argument just how you go about it and i think it is a question ultimately of your time frame and where is your hope and what are you trying to achieve are you trying to achieve peace on earth nation between nation that's not a bad thing of course or someone who would take up the position of nonviolence to the point where they're willing to give their lives as a Christian would say, well, my hope is beyond this earth. So I'm not going to take up arms to fight for peace now. I'm going to die as a witness to a kingdom that is coming where there will be peace eternally. And that's where my hope is. So I suppose that's where it's complex though. And I think, I think there's compelling arguments on both sides, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting, though, because you've you've helped me see that non-violence doesn't mean non-involvement. It doesn't mean yeah. uh, uh, abdicating uh, responsibility to get involved where stuff is a problem. It just speaks into, well, what does that look like? What What means do we use to try and address the problems? And that distinction is quite helpful, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think there's probably a semantic problem in that pacifist sounds like the word passive. Yes. They're not the same words. They're not the same root word, mm. but it, it sounds like it. And so exactly that. And that is the, the uh, you know, condemnation, I suppose, that pacifists will face is, oh, you're shirking responsibility, you know. But it, exactly you're right. It, it lived out truly, it's not a passive position. It's an active position that chooses to love their enemy by sacrificing for them, sacrificing their own freedom, their own safety, etc. Very good. So let's let's loop this around then to what you said at yeah. the start, where you you made the claim that celebrating Remembrance Sunday in church, at least implicitly, backs the just war position. Um, do you want to just kind of elaborate on that thought a little bit and how you see that playing out? Yeah, I see it twofold. I see, first of all, that is its historical roots. Like, it, it, it was... It is rooted in the just war tradition. And so um, uh, when a practice is inherited from another organisation, you, you do inherit the roots and the history if you if you don't think about it. So it, it just is um, rooted in a just war tradition. But then also I do think that that, that any practice you stand up and you remember military conflict, whether that be victories, whether that... And I think an important thing is the type of prayers that we pray on Remembrance Sunday. I don't know what it's like in, in your church. You can, you can tell us maybe in a moment. In my church, it's a little bit awkward, a little bit fudged, you know. So just before 11 o'clock or just after the two-minute silence, someone will effectively pray you know, thank you, Jesus, that others were willing to lay their lives down so that we can enjoy freedom, the freedom that we enjoy. Um, thank you for sacrifice. Thank you that one day there'll be no more war. And yeah, that's good, right? Like, I'm not knocking that. But I think those prayers are actually problematic. First of all, sometimes they're fudged enough that they can sort of apply to soldiers or Jesus <laughs> in terms of sacrifice. And uh, that's probably just not great. Um, secondly, um, it doesn't, those kind of prayers don't actually fit anywhere in the argument of either pacifism or just war, um, because even in, in just war, the reasons for going to war are not to ever protect yourself, because that's not really rooted in Christianity, is it? It's like our, our faith is that we're called to make sacrifices for the good of others. And what we're saying is, thank you that someone else made a sacrifice for the good of me, which is kind of the opposite. Um, and so the just war position is not is never about let's the right thing to do now is to go to war to protect ourselves, to protect our freedom and our way of life. It's actually is to restore someone else to peace and to curb their sin. So some of the prayers that we pray are problematic i think difficult what are they actually saying um and yeah and so i think i think really it's just the, the problem is that we haven't really thought about it we, it's just uncritical it's just inherited and so it, i think it does imply could imply political and theological positions that if we really sat down and thought about it we may find that we don't agree with um and as i say is rooted in a just war tradition inherently 
Yeah, so it's, it's interesting as you talk about it, you seem pretty focused on contemporary practice of Remembrance Sunday. Um, and I was casting my mind to what would it be like to be in a church and say, um, I'm not sure when Remembrance Sunday started, but let's say the 1920s, like just kind of a decade after the First World War, uh, mm. where um, so many millions of young men across the country died. You had church congregations where the vast majority of people had lost family members in that conflict. There were uh, sons, brothers, fathers, uncles who were who were lost, and their their loss would be um, experienced and grieved by the people who made up the congregation. I can see the power in taking a Sunday to to remember, to experience that grief together, to tell stories of the ones who who aren't there anymore, and for that to be uh, a significant um, healing moment for the community, uh, a really powerful service that, that isn't so much about glorifying war, but is much more about individuals and family members. Is that where... Is that how it was in the early days of Remembrance Sunday, or is that my kind of romanticised uh, imagination of it? I think um, I think you're right. I think very much so in terms of like the 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 sense of local connection that people had was far greater than it is in the context that most of us live in in the UK now. Um, and so, yeah, you know, for for families who had had loved ones who'd gone off to war. And there was no immediate communication, didn't know how they were, whether they were coming back um, immediately. So, yeah, and, and most people went to church. Most people went to their local church with their local people and prayed for their family members and trusted. And many of them, therefore, then grieved after afterwards when their loved ones, many of them didn't return. And so, yeah, you're right, like there is a... There, it, there was a significance and a cultural focus for that in the church. I think today it wouldn't be the church really in terms of a national thing, but at the time, because it was such a Christian culture, then the church was the obvious place because it's where they'd already been praying and hoping. And so then to go and grieve and mourn, the church was the obvious place. So I think you're right in terms of like the local, the local narrative can be viewed in that way rightly so however i think that that's not the only story that was taking place there are power structures involved so those who were making up remembrance in their local context were not actually the ones conducting the services forming remembrance it was a national story through a national church uh church of england and so there were actually i i think if you a potentially cynical reading of history um but i do think is possibly legitimate is that given that it was both a much more christian nation but an imperialistic nation the british empire was all at the time um actually what was from you know church and state combined the narrative that was given was not just let's grieve those we've lost but let's do it in such a way that re-promotes 
the cause of the British Empire. And so actually, almost because of the national vulnerability of the moment, with with millions of people searching for meaning for the death of their loved ones, what was presented to them was they died for God and the British Empire. And all of this romantic notions of war, which at the time existed, you know, war was great, war was fun, war was what you did, um, as you know, as a British person for the British Empire, all of that was was ruined in the First World War because of the tragic and awful horror of it all. And so actually, a, again, a cynical reading for it could be that what was needed in remembrance was to rebuild some of what had been destroyed, some of the narrative of expansion of the empire, of et cetera, et cetera. And so actually that was what was what was remembered at the same time. It wasn't just my loved ones in a local sense. It was, it was that, but it was a there was a bigger narrative going on as well. Um, and I think, yeah, a, a one reading of history is let's rebuild something in case we have another war effort. What do we need then? Well, we need people who are going to go willing to die for their country again. Um, so there's a lot to that, but um, yeah, there's it's a complex narrative, I suppose. Yeah, just thinking about like you were sharing some of the prayers you've heard prayed, and uh, over my time as a Christian, so I've been a Christian for 21 years now. Some of that's been spent in New Frontier settings. Um, Kind of very low church, charismatic. But the first few years were sent, spent in Church of England settings. And yeah. so I've seen a more liturgical um, approach as well. Um, I think in both the, the kinds of prayers that I've heard prayed, I've sometimes uh, ventured into prayers that are implying that we, as in the British, are the goodies in these conflicts. Yeah. And the tone of the service can sometimes... So like, hey, aren't we on the side of right here? Thanks, God, for all these people given for, for such a good cause, which it, it is invoking the just war for sure. But with, without even analysis of the particular conflict, whether or not they met those criteria you were talking about earlier, it just seems to be assumed that, well, of course, we, the British, are, are the right ones in these conflicts. And um as I think about our congregations and uh, many congregations across the country, it's not like it was when Remembrance Day started, where the vast majority of people in the congregations would be British, but actually they were building multicultural congregations, people from all over the world. And you mentioned the imperialism side to it. Have you in your work have dug into the way some of the way we talk about this lands with people of different cultures in the congregations and uh, causes potentially unhelpful side effects there. Yeah, yeah, I, ha I have done a bit on that. And I think that it's really important. Again, it's it's another of the implications that we may not intend. Um, uh, and so, again, it's, it's, it's history is in imperialism, nationalism. Um, and so... What does that mean for our practice today? Is there a place? Is there a place for celebrating your nation as a Christian? Well, I think, first of all, it's a matter for a Christian of, of allegiance. 
And I think there's a difference between, you could argue, a, a difference between nationalism and patriotism. Now, some still might take umbrage with the with the words, and that's fine. But I think nationalism is a position of ultimate allegiance to my nation, my ethnic heritage, right? Ultimately allied to it. Whereas I, I read a term that someone came up with, with open patriotism, which is a far more humble position of like being able to recognize both the good about a nation and also the bad and being humble and for a Christian repentant about the bad. Um, biblically, I think nations is a theme through the whole Bible. God's heart for the nations, Israel's position as a light to the nations, the church called to go to the nations, etc., etc. And in Revelation 7, you know, every tribe and tongue numbered. And the kings of the nations will bring their glory into the new Jerusalem. You know, like there is a place for celebrating diversity amongst profound unity for Christians. And so I think you could you could argue that you could use the word patriotism if you like, maybe not, but the celebration of of what is unique and good about your nation is is not an unbiblical thing if it is a secondary allegiance. Actually my first allegiance as a Christian is to Christ and to my brothers and sisters, no you know, of every tribe and tongue coming together who are bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And then in that context of unity, we can celebrate diversity. And that's a really good thing. And actually, I think it's, you know, it's, it's one of the most powerful witnesses of the gospel, isn't it? And um, you know, Paul talks about in Ephesians 3. Um, and so, yeah, so so with that in mind then, what what does Remembrance Sunday imply in that context does it imply anything to do with britain is the good guys god's on our side whatever it may be any kind of unhelpful uh allegiance i think i think the other the other thing is, is even the symbolism symbolism of it poppies is the obvious and you know most prevalent symbol of remembrance Day. what does a wearing a poppy a red poppy say about somebody i think it has become a a sign of patriotism and that's why public figures news readers match of the day pundits will be criticized for not wearing one well why well you don't love your country don't support your country so it, it is a it is a it is a patriotic symbol so yeah we've got people in our congregations who are from other nations Potentially ex-colonial nations. What does that feel like? So I think that there is a there is a biblical precedent for celebrating diversity of nations, ethnicities, cultures in unity under Christ. My question would be: given its history and the potential for misinterpretation or real interpretation, is Remembrance Sunday actually the most helpful Sunday to try to do that? And I would suggest possibly not particularly if it is one of the only sundays where nations are really recognized in that obvious sense yeah that's good if you think about what we do uh, our church it's never 
a thing that comes up in our long-term planning. So as we're mapping out a term or a year, we'll highlight certain Sundays that different things will happen, things around Christmas and Easter uh, in particular, but certain things in our rhythm as well when we do all our sites together on a day or special offerings or we've got a planner. Uh, Remembrance Sunday never gets marked on that in advance. But then what tends to happen is about a week or two before Remembrance Sunday, we'll be on a team meeting and someone will say, oh, it's Remembrance Sunday soon, isn't it? We should do something about that. And it will be very informally dropped into the conversation. There'll be a, a little back and forth conversation between different people, a little bit like what we've done today, but without any of the detail and theological nuance but maybe the observation about how it lands with people from different cultures will get brought into it or um you know is this celebrating war um, then one of the points that often gets made is that some of our sites are in uh, areas of the city that are quite uh, traditional conservatively like so socially conservatively minded places um where not doing remembrance sunday would seem odd where it would seem like a, a stumbling block where it would be expected of churches and so conversations around being missional and contextual come up and i mean you, you mentioned poppies and if you see the backlash that uh, jeremy corbyn got for wearing a white poppy and uh, now he was um let's not get into the whole politics in general of uh, of Corbyn but by wearing a white poppy he's trying to say something different to what people who wear red poppies say but there was a huge backlash against that statement and I think there can be a fear in church of backlash against not wanting to to join remembrance it will seem disrespectful that it will seem ungrateful perhaps um what what are your thoughts on on that dimension to the conversation? Yeah, it's complex, uh, as with it all. I think. Um, I think the most important thing for a church service, for for a church congregation gathering together. Why do we gather together? We gather together because of Jesus, because of what He's done, because He's our hope, because of his story that has become our story. That's why, that, that's who we are fundamentally. And so any gathering like that in any context needs to make sure that's the main story it tells, I think. Um, and external pressure is just not a reason to capitulate or to, to do something that may actually... Um, not be in line with that or or just not tell that story i think there's you know there's i think what i what i really want is just for people to think about it more if you want to wear a red poppy why you know if you want to wear it because you want to not offend people and that's a way of loving your neighbor i don't have a problem with that at all i think that's a good thing if you're if you want to wear it because you're scared you'll get told off by someone if you don't, that's not a good reason as a Christian to do something. Um, and so I think those are those are some of the ways I'm thinking about it. It's just, come on, let, let's think about this. What are we doing and why are we doing it? Um, so I think 
when it comes to the practice of Remembrance Sunday, where I'm kind of landing is actually it is an opportunity that we should make more of, not less of. It is an opportunity in those contexts and more, you know, traditional British areas or whatever it may be. But in any area, in any congregation, I think it is an opportunity to teach into some of these massive things that otherwise we very rarely talk about um to be equipped for how do we handle how do we pray what do i think about israel and gaza today what do i think about ukraine and russia what do, and any other you know sadly many other places what do i think how do i pray how should i respond it's it's an opportunity to to you know teach into those kind of things but also i think the way of making more of it is to reframe it around the gospel so we're not trying to slightly awkwardly and embarrassingly avoid nationalistic pitfalls and theological pitfalls. But actually, it's like, what what is our hope? Well, our hope is what Jesus has done, which means that there is going to be a time, a world where there is no more war ever again. And all nations will come together in perfect unity and celebration of each other under the grace of God where all tragedy and loss and grief and tears are wiped away and redeemed in some glorious way that we can't even begin to imagine. That's the, that's our story. And I think it's important that that's the story we tell on Remembrance Sunday and every other Sunday. So where I'm actually landing in terms of practice, I think that per perhaps the most helpful thing to do is, as I said, to use it as an opportunity to make more of, teach into some of these things, practice two-minute silence. You know, there'll be people in our congregations who may be directly affected by war. So so I, I don't think we should just get rid of it. Actually, I think we should acknowledge suffering and justice. People maybe have served in the armed forces, people who maybe are refugees who've fled conflict and war in our congregations. How do we help them to engage with the gospel in those, you know, having experienced those different things. So I, I'm wondering, we haven't done this yet. I don't think we'll do it this year, but maybe in future years. I'm wondering whether the, the most helpful thing to do at 11 o'clock on Remembrance Sunday is to have a two-minute silence, having talked about some of these things, and take communion at that moment as the ultimate symbol of Christian remembrance and the gospel that pulls together all these different strands of hope, of lament, of suffering, of healing, of diversity, coming together under one in one new man in Christ, all of these different themes that we've talked about. The gospel is the answer, unsurprisingly. And communion is the ultimate symbol of Christian remembrance of the gospel. And I think I'm wondering whether that as a practice is perhaps the most helpful thing to do to tell the story that we are called to tell as Christians, which answers all of those questions, but in a gospel-centered way rather than a, any other way. Well, thanks so much. This has been really helpful. It's given me so much to think about and stretch my brain theologically, but then really grounded it into practice as well. Um, it's making me think in a week or two when someone brings into one of our 
uh, our teammates, hey, remembering Sunday's coming up, uh, I, I now have more thoughts to share than perhaps I would have before. Um, and I, I hope for all the listeners, this has really helped you and you've found it just a, poking at your brain a bit in um, areas that we don't talk about loads and don't think about a lot. But as as we've seen over the course of this discussion, it's just so important to get into. Um, so we'll be back on the podcast soon with more content from broadcast. But until then, see you soon.